Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Well, it's not the way I normally start a sermon, but I do want to start by acknowledging the Darug and Gundagura people, who are the traditional owners of the land we're meeting on, uh, to recognise they were given the land by God, uh, and they have an enduring connection with it. And I do want to pay my respects to the people and elders past, present and emerging. And I guess one of the reasons I say that is because I'm very conscious that I'm probably not the right person to be speaking <laughs> this evening on this topic. Um, I'm not Indigenous, and so what I'm going to say is very much from white Australia's perspective. Uh, I'm not highly involved in Indigenous issues or Indigenous ministry, uh, so I hope that what I've got to say this evening is going to be helpful. Uh, I am happy for us to have a bit of a discussion afterwards. I don't, it's not a time for a debate, but there might be some questions and comments, and I'd be interested to hear what, what, what your thinking is. Uh, You probably know that last Thursday was National Sorry Day. Uh, The Sorry Day began after the Bringing Them Home report about the stolen generation. uh, The report came out in 1997 and the next year, 1988, uh, was designated National Sorry Day to say, to recognise the wrongs of the stolen generation particularly, uh, but then for the many other wrongs that have been done to Indigenous people of Australia. But it turns out that it also lands in National Reconciliation Week, which we're in the midst of. Uh, again, around a couple of historic markers. 1967, the referendum to recognise Aboriginal people in the Australian Constitution was uh, approved on the 27th of May. And then the 3rd of June 1992 is the date of the Mabo decision about Aboriginal land rights. And so that's why. Uh, this, this week, each year, is National Reconciliation Week. I wonder what you make of all of that. Do you embrace it or do you treat it with a bit of suspicion? Uh, it, it, it's not an easy issue for us. There are strong views on various sides of the idea of reconciliation. I've got friends I know who are really deeply concerned about it. Uh, and want to pursue it, and I know other friends for whom it's a bit of a red rag. Um, And it's even trickier to think about in church, because church is not a political club. We're not here to to sort of debate politics. Uh, We're not here to argue over partisan issues. We're here to worship God and encourage each other from his word. And yet, having said that, we also have to recognise God's word addresses all sorts of areas of life and particularly it speaks to us as citizens. And it tells us that we should pray for the world and for our country and for our rulers and for our neighbours. Uh, and if we're, going, if we're called to pray for our neighbours and to care for and love those around us, then we can't rule out dealing with an issue like reconciliation just because it's contentious. Uh, So what I want to do is to try in just a few minutes to suggest how we can approach 
this issue as a Christian. Um, I, I don't think I'll go for very long. Um, Anne's introduction was a nice way of saying the sermon was shorter when she said the video was longer. So that's the goal. I'm certainly not going to talk about details of policy. I think whenever we start talking about public policy, there's room for a range of views amongst Christians. But to try and draw out what I think we can say from the scriptures about this. Uh, and as, I, as, as, I, as we get started, I think it's also worth noting that uh, we will hear a lot more about Aboriginal reconciliation over the next few years. The newly elected government has said that it wants to make that a priority. Uh, the Prime Minister's very first statement uh, as he claimed the election victory was to promise to implement the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full, which, gives, which would give First Nations a voice to Parliament and start some peacemaking uh, with a treaty. And so that is all going to be talked about considerably over the next year, two years. So we should think about it as Christians. And as we start to think about that, we do need to acknowledge the status of First Nations people in Australia and their history is something that we as a nation need to address. Um, you're probably familiar with lots of these figures, but let me remind you of them. If you look at life expectancy between First Nations Australians and the national average, the national average, the women's uh, expected life, life expectancy is 83. For Aboriginal women, it's 75. For uh, the national average for men is 80. For Aboriginal men, it's 71. Uh, education rates, 60% uh, of the Aboriginal community complete year 12, where 90% of the general population do. Uh, employment rates, uh, 25 to 64 year olds in Australia, so the kind of prime working age, 70% have people, 75% uh, have paid employment compared to about 50% in the Aboriginal community. Uh, and you're talking about visiting prisons, you know, Aboriginal people, something like 20 times overrepresented in our uh, prison system. And, and when you look at the, hear those figures, they are startling and distressing. And of course, that's what the closing the gap process has been seeking to address. And there's no doubt the causes for those differences are complex and are debated, and that's part of the uh, policy debates. But at least some of them do go back to the history. Uh, the historical wrongs uh, that Aboriginal land was taken without any agreement, uh, the, 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 the series of terrible massacres that took place, the spread of disease, alienation of people from their traditional lands, uh, exclusion from political life, the stolen generation, the separation of children from their parents, often on, spurious, on a very spurious basis. And continued racism in which First Nations people in Australia have been ignored or belittled. And so an honest look at the history of Australia and at the current status of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders shows that this is an issue that we need to address as a nation. And Jesus makes a difference. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons video is so good to hear because you're already starting to hear the difference Jesus makes. Now, as Christians, whatever issue we think about, we want to ask, 
what does the Bible say? But asking what the Bible says is not just, let's find a few Bible verses. Uh, the Bible itself focuses on Jesus. Um, and so we want to ask, particularly, what difference does Jesus make? And it's certainly interesting as we think about reconciliation that the key word is a Christian gospel word. Uh, the word term reconciliation is all about uh, bringing people back to peace, restoring friendship, overcoming enmity, establishing harmony. And it's a word that really comes out of the Christian faith and the Christian gospel. And so I want to suggest this evening three ways in particular that I think Jesus helps us uh, approach reconciliation. Uh, first of all, he helps us to recognise the reality of shared guilt. Now, I think this is an idea that it's actually pretty hard for us to get because we're from a culture that is so individualistic and we just tend to think about ourselves and we stand or fall by our own actions and we don't really see how other people's actions would have any a moral impact on us. But that, that's not the way that most cultures in the world think. Uh, and I don't think that's the way God's made us. Uh, individual responsibility certainly is important, but so is shared responsibility. Uh, and you think about what happens in the Old Testament. So many times the nation of Israel faces God's judgment because of what their rulers have done what their leaders has done and so what the king does brings consequences of god's judgment to the whole nation and it's wider than that the whole biblical story is about the way in which the human race lives under the curse of god because of human sin that we live with the consequences of sin including guilt that comes, first of all, not from ourselves, but from Adam. So let me just, if you've got your Bible there, turn up to Romans chapter 5. And let me show you these verses that talk about Adam's action and our guilt. So in Romans 5, where Paul, of course, is thinking about how Christ's obedience brings us justification... He says in setting that up, uh, nor can the gift of God be compared, this is sorry, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin, right, that's Adam's sin. Judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Right, you hear that? After one sin by Adam, judgment comes to everybody and brings condemnation because of what Adam did as our representative. Well, then in verse 19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And so at the very basis of the Christian gospel is this idea that we all share in a guilt that comes from what somebody else did. When we weren't there, when we had no say in it, but we can't just opt out of that. We can't disown that connection. And I think if you understand that, then you can start to imagine how that could be true of a nation as well. And I think we see in the Old Testament that it is true of a nation. 
that you realize that the land that our church stands on and that our houses stand on and our shops and businesses stand on was built on land that was taken from the original owners without any permission uh, they, were, they weren't protected from violence they were actually systematically excluded from political life and processes and that we received the benefits of that then we need to accept a responsibility of it for it now it's not a personal responsibility it's not that i was there personally in fact uh, three of my four grandparents didn't arrive in australia until the 1930s so in one sense even my family weren't particularly part of it i'm not sure about the fourth grandparent um, but i recognize that as a non-indigenous australian i have a stake in our nation and our history and so as a citizen i've got to recognize that history has an impact on me uh, and i can't just ignore it so i think jesus helps us recognize that but even more importantly he shows us the reality of reconciliation with, with god i mean that's the gospel isn't it that god makes peace with us that when we were enemies against god and rebels and rejected him god sent his own son to carry our guilt to face our punishment in our place to live the life that we should have lived to die the death that we deserved to bring us back to being friends with him and that's what the passage we read about in colossians is building on so before we got to colossians 3 if we go back to colossians chapter 1 uh, colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 19 uh, paul has has written this for god was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him that is christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from god and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you whole in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. At the very heart of the Christian faith is this story of wonderful, unexpected, overwhelming forgiveness and reconciliation being restored to God. And that is to be the, rec the basis of reconciliation with one another, with people. Uh, and that's what the passage we read from Colossians 3 is about. Uh, Paul's writing to a church that lives in uh, the, uh, Asia Minor, what we call Turkey nowadays, a very divided ancient society. And he can say, uh, as God's people now, you're to treat each other radically differently to the way you would have before you knew christ and you hear him addressing relationships verse 8 he says read yourselves of these things anger rage malice slander filthy language do not lie to each other that's all about relationships and community why should you live like that because you're you're a new people You've taken off your old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
And then he names the, some of the religious and ethnic and cultural and legal divisions in their society. He says, here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. That's, of course, you know, the great division of humanity in the Jewish worldview. There's the Jews and there's everyone else. There's those who are circumcised and there are the uncircumcised. But Paul says, in Christ there is no Greek or Jew. There is no Jew or Gentile. No circumcised or uncircumcised. Then he says, no barbarian or Scythian. Now, those names may not mean much to you, but, the, but probably barbarian, you get the idea of the barbarian. That's the uncivilized. And the Scythians were the most barbarian of the barbarians. They were the really uncivilized. And so the great division in the Greek and Roman world was there were the civilized people, the Greeks and the Romans, and the barbarians, the worst of whom were the Scythians. And again, Paul says, in Christ... There's no barbarian, no Scythian. And then, of course, the other great division in their society was between those who were slaves and those who were free. And again, Paul says, no slaves or free in Christ, but united in Christ. That as people are reconciled to God, so God is reconciling them to one another as well. And that's why we read from Isaiah 56, um, where outsiders, Gentiles and eunuchs who would not be included, are included, are welcome to the holy mountain. They're invited to worship. Uh, it, it, the temple is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so in Colossians 3, Paul then continues... To say, so live in harmony. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with not those vices of anger and rage and malice and slander, but compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance from one another, put, uh, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Lord's forgiveness is to be our pattern. And so reconciliation with God is to be a basis for human reconciliation. Now, I'm not saying that national reconciliation is the same as gospel reconciliation. I'm not saying that everyone in Australia will need to be a Christian before we could do anything about national reconciliation. But what I'm saying is that for Christians, we know that God is committed to reconciliation. Not only with himself, but with one another. And so we should be concerned and committed to that as well. We want genuine harmony. We want a justice that doesn't just pay cracks, but actually deals with the problems and brings people back into good relationships with each other. So certainly, at least within the church, we should pursue reconciliation, including uh, those reconciliation across those ethnic, cultural, linguistic uh, barriers that might divide us. And when we think about Aboriginal reconciliation, uh, we certainly recognise the churches have considerable 
things, significant things to apologise for, including our part in the stolen generation. Uh, and back in, the, back in the 1990s, when the stolen generation report came in, the Presbyterian Church, along with many other churches, offered formal apologies for the role that the churches had had in that process. But part of the Christian heritage in Australia is to recognise that churches have also sought to defend Indigenous people, not at all perfectly, but often it was churches and missionaries, uh, certainly in the 19th and early 20th century, who were the only voices in white culture who spoke out in defence of Aboriginal interests. And it was Christians who were some of the early voices calling for reconciliation. Uh, for our own church, our own churches here in Springwood and Winmalee, uh, one of the great blessings over the years has been our connection with uh, Cliff Letcher and his ministry through AIM, Australian Indigenous Ministries. And so we have had something of a history of a connection with uh, and supporting Indigenous churches and a connection with the Mount Druitt Indigenous Church. Um, you know, there's way more to do. We've hardly even begun to connect with local indigenous people. But certainly our reconciliation with God calls us to seek reconciliation in the church and in the wider society. And then thirdly, God's way of reconciliation gives, offers us a model of reconciliation. Uh, what I'm... What I'm going to say in the next, minute, next few minutes is based on some work by a fellow called Alex Deegan, who's a Christian legal scholar. He's written a really good academic paper about this, but it was advertised in an article on the Eternity website in July 2021. So I can, send you, I can give you a link to that if you're looking for it. And he points out how the biblical pattern of seeking reconciliation is actually very similar to the Makarata process that's proposed in the Uluru statement. Um, so Makarata is the Yolongu word in that statement uh, for the idea of making peace after a dispute. So he, you can chase that up in, in what he's written. What's the biblical model? Well, it, it goes through a series of steps. You may not do them in necessarily this exact order, but what does it take to really seek reconciliation after wrongs? Well, there has to be repentance, a real change of mind, turning around, a, a determination not to go back to that, to do something different. There has to be confession, an honest and comprehensive statement of the wrongs that have been done, um, which in turn relies on admitting that you have done wrong. He says, we need to have lament an expression of the gravity of how wrong things have been and how deeply wrong they are. Not just a matter of saying, oh, yeah, well, we, wrong thing happened there, sorry, let's move on, but lamenting it. An apology, actually saying sorry for the wrongs that have been done. Seeking forgiveness wanting a harmonious relationship 
I think if you look at the Uluru Statement, it's an invitation to that. Um, and Rachel Candino's words in that video very much were expressing both the transforming experience for her of Christ's forgiveness and also the offer to us as white Australians to receive forgiveness. And then some sort of restitution. At least seeking generous provision for health care and education and housing and giving, in, giving Indigenous people access to land that's been closed off for them. All aiming for the trust and harmony of reconciliation. So the Gospel gives us this great model of what reconciliation looks like. Uh, and lots of us know the power of that in our own personal relationships and in our own families. And, and it can be a guide for, a wide, for wider social life as well. So people who know Jesus should welcome the call to Makarata. Uh, I'm sure over the next months and years, there's going to be plenty of debates and there'll be times when it's confusing and frustrating. Uh, and we recognise that in this life and in this age, there'll never be a perfect process or perfect reconciliation. Uh, but I think there's three practical things that we can do as a church and as Christian individuals. Uh, let me suggest them. First of all, one is just to learn, to be ready to understand what has happened, understand the Aboriginal experience, find out about the history, don't just ignore it. Um, for all of us who are part of the Australian country, part of the Australian nation, um, we need to have some awareness of the Aboriginal history nationally and locally. Uh, the, the book that I've enjoyed over the last few years, reading bits and pieces of it, Grace Carskin's book, The People of the River, uh, which is particularly interesting for us because it's set, it, it's about the history of our local area um, down along the river and up into the mountains. And so I think for non-Indigenous people, we need to listen uh, we're often quick to talk a lot. That's one of the problems with me preaching tonight. Um, but we need to start by hearing. To try and connect, uh, to develop friendships with the, indigenous, with the Indigenous community around us, uh, to connect with the Indigenous church. Uh, I do think that every Australian church that isn't itself an Indigenous church should have a connection with Indigenous ministry. I think that's just something we need to be doing, to be praying for and supporting Indigenous ministry. So learn and connect and then to pray. Uh, praying for the First Nations of Australia, including lament. Thanking God for the Indigenous people and the part they have played and continue to play in our community. Thanking God for Christians, black and white, who have been faithful to him. Pray for justice and reconciliation. And uh, pray for the, the way Rachel was praying. Pray for the, the, the uh, progress of the gospel in indigenous and communities and around, the world, and around Australia. How would I lead us in prayer now? And then see if you've 
if you want to ask anything or make any comments, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we think about the history of our nation, uh, we, there's so much for us to weep over, so much for us to groan about, so much to confess to you of uh, horrible wrongs done to people who couldn't defend themselves. Ways in which the Australian nation and the uh, white Australian community have often been so uh, ignorant and careless of the indigenous people who lived among us and, and around us and near us and the impact that our behaviour had on them. And Father, we do grieve this. And we thank you for the First Nations of our country, for the way in which they have cared for this land over many generations, over millennia, uh, for the part they've played in the growth of modern Australia. And in that we thank you particularly for those who are your people, Christian believers uh, from the black and the white communities who have been faithful in living for Christ and speaking for Christ, uh, often speaking up against evil, uh, calling for reconciliation. And so, Father, we pray for uh, the continued establishment of justice and greater reconciliation in our nation. And we pray that that might come about Because more and more of the people of our land know peace with you through Christ. And that as we address the historic and continuing injustices, uh, we might see the gospel of Christ spread more and more, uh, bearing fruit. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.